Welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection for November 1st, 2023. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Most merciful and ever-present God, we thank you for your creation, and we thank you for your unending love for your people. Help us, O Lord, to never be so complacent that we begin to feel that we don't need you. Help us to meditate on your word, and then pour your Holy Spirit on us to activate your word, and set a fire of gratitude in our hearts that can never be quenched. We lift up this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit today about how good we have it and about how bad, according to our terms and our definitions, others around the world appear to have it. We're going to relate that to how that may or may not affect our faith and others' faith. I read a book several years ago titled The Insanity of God. Yes, you heard that right. The title is The Insanity of God. It was written by Nick Ripken, N-I-K-R-I-P-K-E-N. It's a wonderful story, um, even though it's gut-wrenching at times, about a husband and wife missionary team that traveled around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This book is basically a series of interviews of persecuted believers from different countries around the world. How can God speak to and mean anything to people that are being beaten, oppressed, imprisoned, and yes, even put to death for their faith in Jesus? Hence the title, The Insanity of God. When we try to outguess God, and figure him out, I'm always comforted by God's words that were spoken through his prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In this section of the book, Nick Ripken is wrapping up his interview with an individual named Stoyan. That is not his real name because at the time this book was written, most of these people he interviewed were still under persecution and oppression. Despite decades of extreme hardship, Stoyan's stories were joyful and hopeful. He was convinced that people flocked to Christ in greater numbers during difficult days of persecution, because that's when they could recognize how God sustains and strengthens his followers through times of trouble. He said that he had learned that family is the believer's greatest reservoir of faith and resistance in the face of persecution. And he explained that surprisingly, freedom had brought a new set of challenges that had blurred spiritual battle lines. As my interview with Stoyan drew to a close, I knew that it was going to take a long time to process the wisdom 
insights and conclusions that this one man had drawn from his life. It was a treasure of faith experience. When I mentioned Estoyan and thanked him for his time, he smiled modestly and replied, I thank God and take great joy in knowing that I was suffering in prison in my country so that you, Nick, could be free to share Jesus in Kentucky. Those words pierced my soul. I looked Stoyan straight in the eyes. Oh no, I protested. No, you are not going to do that. You are not going to put that on me. That is a debt so large I can never repay you. Stoyan stared right back at me and said, Son, that's the debt of the cross. He leaned forward and poked me in the chest with his finger. As he continued, Don't you steal my joy. I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you could be free to witness in your country. Then he raised his voice in a prophet-like challenge that I knew would live with me forever. Don't ever give up in freedom what we would have given up, never given up in persecution. That is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those words from Stoyan haunted me as I flew back to the States. Have I given up on freedom with me and others? Have I refused to surrender under the worst when others refused to surrender under the worst forms of persecution? Had I? He goes on to say he was speaking to a handful of college students at his house when he shared this with them. I don't know how I have lived to be 45 years old, I told them, without realizing the implications of this. You would think that I would already understand this. I lived in Africa for 15 years, and I have studied scripture. I know that Jesus told his followers that they would suffer for his sake. So, none of this should be a surprise to any of us. But somehow, it is a surprise, I said, slowly. If that kind of resurrection power couldn't be found in the world today, I had a problem. If that kind of resurrection power was not present and alive, I had important questions to answer, questions that shook me to the core. What was the point of the last 15 years of my life? And what was I going to do with the rest of my life? We had ostensibly set up our persecution task force and designed a set of research goals to help us learn how to make disciples in those places in the world where, most, where were, they were most hostile to Christianity. That was our expressed goal. Beyond that, I knew early on that my quest was much more personal. I left for Russia with a question I desperately wanted to answer. What if the Bible teaches about the power of my faith is not true today? Coming home from Russia, however, a different question was in my heart. It was a question that grew from those remarkable, life-giving interviews. It was a question that hinted of hope. What if the resurrection power available to Jesus' followers in the New Testament is just as real for believers in our world today. I wondered if that could possibly be true. 
Driven by that question, my journey continued. It's a wonderful story, and I recommend that book to you. Now, last week, I had the honor of speaking of speaking at a friend's memorial service, and I shared how he had hope and what the basis of his hope was. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our Christian found faith, and that's where my friend's hope was. And that also is where the basis of hope for all those that are persecuted in countries that do not have religious freedom lies. Paul spoke of that hope in his letter he wrote to the book of Romans, And Jesus also spoke of that hope and promise in the book of John. Reading from Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And these are words of Jesus spoken to Martha in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That hope is there for you. That hope is there for me. But the sad thing is at times, because of where we live, we have so much freedom. And for the most part, we're so well off that we may feel that we really just don't need God. I certainly hope I don't have to face persecution and oppression to continue placing my faith in Jesus Christ, who was born to a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. But the good news is, he was bodily resurrected, and that is where my hope is. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father and most gracious God, you know our every need, and you are with us constantly, even when we don't need you. You show up in places for those in need we would never expect. And for that reason, we should be eternally grateful. Help us to place our faith on the cornerstone of the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.